You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. And good morning, everybody. It is good to see everybody here today. Glad you've made it a priority. And uh, I want to say thank you to Pastor Ben Rainey for uh, preaching last Sunday as my wife and I were able to be a part of installing our youngest son as the lead pastor up in Bel Air, just north of uh, Baltimore. And so I let him know, I said, now today is the day where now it is your responsibility for everything that happens. But anyway, uh, how many of you uh, saw Pastor Ben climb that ladder? How many of you were nervous as he climbed that ladder? Come on, I want to see how many hands were nervous. I'm with you. I watched it online. I thought, man, if he falls off that ladder, he's going to become a Latter-day Saint. (laughs) You know, it's like a wave hitting the congregation, you know. But uh, anyway, yeah, I greatly appreciate it. <laughs> I have no idea where that fits in the sermon, but anyway, we've got to recover this thing very quickly. Listen, today is the last uh, message associated with this series, New Horizons for 2023. And one of the things that I've embedded in this series is uh, our vision statement, which is connecting people to God, one another, in the marketplace. And today... Uh, We're emphasizing the marketplace. So would everybody stand for the reading of the word today? And we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Let's read together. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, Jesus, I pray that as the word is taught, that you help all of us to absorb a spiritual truth and an insight that you have for us. I know, God, we all listen with our ears, but there is the language of the Holy Spirit that speaks to every heart. You have a way of imparting insight that can't be heard with our ears, but we hear it with our spirit. And that's what I ask for in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Be seated. So today, I want to just say, I know there's folks here who have been a part of the bridge for a while. I've shared on this text many, many times over the years, and so you might be hearing some things that I regularly have said over the years, but we also have new people who have become a part of the church, and there's some things that I think it is very, very important that we always be reminded about who we are 
and why we do what we do. Our vision statement is to connect people to God, one another, in the marketplace. And even this past week, I had the opportunity to have some conversations with a couple different people about that. As they said, I understand the connect to God. I understand the connecting to one another. But can you unpack, what do you mean by the, the marketplace? What do you mean by that? What does that look like in your particular church? And so while the vision directly identifies God, one another, and the marketplace, we need to understand that they actually interact with each other. It's easy to read that and you come up with what I call three different paradigms. You think, well, there's God over here, there's one another over here, and there's the marketplace. And what we're saying is this, they're not actually, while they're identifiable, they're also interactive within each other. So it's more like this. You'll see there's a place in the middle where they all interact with each other because they all feed off of each other. So we're trying to strategically place you in this position. Why? Because it's the perfect spot? No. It is, listen to me, it is the best resourced arena that you can be for all the things that come in life that some, most of the time are unexpected. Have you noticed that things don't, there, there are, the unexpected challenging things of life don't always uh, make an appointment on your calendar? They just show up. And suddenly you have to go to the toolbox of life to tr try to manage what is going on. And what I've seen over the years is this. Yeah, there's that relationship with God that we pull on. We pray about it. We ask God for help. But in addition to that, we're oftentimes pulling on people that we have established relationships with. We're asking their wisdom and their insight, maybe even asking for their prayers. But that other dynamic is this. Sometimes our friend network isn't adequate. And we have to pull on the marketplace, so to speak. And so we seek out resources that maybe other people might be aware of. And so what you find is, is they, all pull, they all pull one another. They all play off each other. And when we find a resource with somebody that we didn't know before, sometimes we call it a divine appointment. And so you can see how God, one another in the marketplace. I need to have my life positioned so I can pull on this toolbox, so to speak, for whatever comes in, in, in my life, whatever hits me. And so today we're looking at this element of the marketplace. And it relates to this. There is a tension that exists in Christianity between church involvement and community involvement. Many times as, as, as churches, if we're, not if we're not careful, we can present to people it's either or. If you're doing this in the community, you're cheating yourself on your church involvement. But if you don't recognize this, if you're involved in church to a, to a certain degree, if you're not careful, you can be so occupied with church activity, you don't have time to go out and make a, an impact in community. And so it's, if we're not careful, we make it either or. And what I want to tell you is this, it's actually both. It's, have you ever heard the word balance? Isn't that amazing? It's balance. Let me just say as a pastor, I don't want to saddle you with so much church activity that you don't have time to go out and forge relationships with people who aren't followers of Christ and become involved in community and get to know them and have impact. By the way, if you'll notice, Jesus seemed to have a lot of time to hit the marketplace. And they were having gatherings every day at the synagogue. 
But he balanced it out to where that he wasn't, he wasn't making it either or. He struck a balance. We do read that he was in the synagogue. So I'm not saying don't come to church. I'm saying we need to understand what does the balance look like. So the question is this. What is appropriate church involvement so I can maintain as well as grow my faith? I need to be around people who are of like faith so that I can grow. Not just maintain my faith, but grow my faith. That's necessary. But where is that balance? And so then the other part of this comes, how does my faith play into the marketplace so that I represent Christ in a way that impacts people? So it's both. How do I take what I'm learning here and go into a marketplace and touch people's lives who, who don't have anything to do with God? Or maybe they become disconnected from God. How do I use my faith so that I can bring maybe restoration? And in some cases, reformation to somebody's life. Because some people just need to have a radical change and a radical shift in their life. But if I'm preoccupied with church activity, listen... Here's an example. What you're going to find is this. Most people think evangelism is inviting somebody to church. And if the person says no, well then I was unsuccessful. If the person says yes, then I did my part. No, evangelism is having a relationship with somebody that they may or may not come to church the first time you invite them, but you know what? You don't roll them under the bus because they said no. You keep the friendship. Why? Because the friendship is legitimate. The friendship isn't conditional. Well, you're my friend as long as when I invite you to church, you come. And you can continue to be my friend as long as you agree with whatever our church just expressed in a service. Now, if you reject my invitation or you reject the message of my church, I don't want anything to do with you. Let's look at Jesus' life. He hung out with a lot of people who didn't agree with him. He hung out with a lot of people who were not followers. In fact, he, would even want the, he, he, not, he also went to their house. His friendships were genuine. And that's what I say. If, we don't, if we're not careful, we fall into these traps. And we wonder, why are people rejecting the gospel? They're not rejecting the gospel. They're rejecting your presentation of it. That's what they're rejecting. They're saying, so what? So I want to be a friend of yours, and if I don't agree with your faith, we're no longer friends. If I don't say yes to everything that you present to me in the realm of faith, we're no longer friends. You don't want anything to do with me. That doesn't sound like friendship. That sounds like a business arrangement. And yet we say, Jesus loves you. It's a contradiction from how we're treating them. Everybody with me? So, so we're going to talk about this today. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about our conduct, and the word in the Bible is outsiders. Now, some of you will go, that is such a, that's a stigmatized phrase. Can't you use some other phrase besides outsiders? Sorry, that's the one the Bible used. And the Bible never tried to be politically correct. Okay, I want you to notice what it tells us about how we approach and affect and impact outsider. These are people who do not agree with our faith or they've walked away from the faith. This is what the Bible tells us about our conduct towards them. Colossians 4, 5, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. So it tells me I need to pay attention to what I'm doing because what I'm doing 
is more of a statement than what I'm saying. I need to, and I need to make the most of every opportunity. So I need to watch my service and my efforts around people who are not followers of Christ or who just totally reject our perspective of faith. It doesn't say I'm to get into a tangled mess and argument with them. It says I need to pay attention and be wise in how I act towards them. You go on down in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands. How many know that'll preach? Sometimes we talk too much and don't do enough to back up what we've said. And it says, just as we told you, so that your daily life might, may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Notice the respect of outsiders. Wow. Do I have the respect of people who are not followers of Christ? It doesn't say we agree. We may not even, they may not even like me. But do they respect? Hmm. That's not an optional thing that I'm to be doing. That says that whatever I do and however I should conduct myself, I might have people who say, I don't agree with where you're coming from. I don't agree with your perspective. I don't agree with your interpretation. I don't agree with your ex expressions. But I, but I do this. I respect, from, I respect your values and where you're coming from. I may not agree, but I respect them. See, what oftentimes is this, we're trying to win people over who don't even respect us. And so we need to back it up and go, we need to talk about what does it take to get respect. That's not going to be done by intimidation, that's not going to be done by, by protest, that's not going to be done by screaming and yelling, that's not going to be done by getting in their face and, and, and accusing, and that's only going to be done by loving them in a, in a genuine relationship. It's, you're so quiet, man, you are scaring me to death right now. <laughs> See, this is, this is why we talk about the marketplace so much. Because we, we don't, what you've noticed in the Bible is this, we don't see what we're not looking for. So till it's brought to our attention, then all of a sudden we start seeing it. We only see what we're looking for, and so sometimes this concept doesn't hit us so we don't see these scriptures. Where it says that even outsiders should respect you. Look at this. 1 Timothy 3, 7. This is uh, 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 describing church leadership. So it even says in, in, the, in one of the qualifications for leadership is this. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders. So that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So it's not enough to have congregational approval as a leader. It says outsiders should respect that that's a church leader. Wow. So oftentimes we're worried about, is that what the church approves? And that's important. But it also says, is this a person that outsiders who don't attend our church, can they respect this individual? It's not either or. It's both. Then you come down to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Let me just pause there. How many know that covers a lot of territory? 
Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. One of the things that you learn very quickly is this. People know, hear about you, learn about you, know about you primarily first by how you talk. Speech is the first vehicle in which they begin to engage what kind of person that you are. Your speech, your talk is... The, now, after that, they start to watch what you do and how you do it and how you conduct. But the speech, the conversation, your tongue, your attitude is kind of the runway before takeoff. And the question is, what do they hear? What do they, what do they experience? And listen, words contribute to how a person feels. So you start to say, the words that I use, how does that make that person feel? The language that I employ, is there any unwholesome talk coming out of my mouth that would cause them to question what I say I represent? Oh, it gets better. You ready for this? This is still in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. How many know not even a hint kind of covers a lot of territory? You know, we're kind of like, well, here's the line. Well, everybody, and it says, no, not even a hint. Or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Most people have no problem with that until, look at this. Hey, let's read the last sentence together. Come on, read with me. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Wow. I'm supposed to watch my mouth. It's not just using God's name in vain that I have to be worried about. Hey, I know a lot of followers of Christ who say, well, at least I don't use God's name in vain. I always go, Ephesians 5, 3, and 4. Just read it when you get home. The Bible covers more than just using his name in vain. There's a, and so you start to, okay, my mouth communicates what to people who are not followers of Christ? Because otherwise it's going to take me a long time through actions to undo what they first heard come out of me. Hmm. So this is why we talk about the marketplace, because the market, marketplace is where we actually take our faith, because faith without works is dead. The marketplace is where we actually put our faith in action to see what kind of impact we can have in life. It's great to gather like this, and I hope this, I hope this is always helpful. I hope this grows your faith. I hope it does more than help you to maintain your faith. I hope it grows your faith. But in the end, this is all designed, what we do here, for what happens on Monday morning. Monday afternoon, Tuesday, Wednesday. We're not having church and then sending you out of here and pray, pray, oh God, help them to hang on for six more days until they get back. No, 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 no. This is equipping. This is like, hey, let's, let's prepare. Most of us may have a pretty good idea of what's about to come tomorrow, but what you don't know is what kind of impact that you will have on what comes tomorrow. And that's where our faith comes in. How do I use my faith to impact my tomorrow in the marketplace? How do I do that? 
I'm glad you asked that. We're going to talk about it. I got three things for you. Ready? Here we go. Number one, everybody read it out loud. God calls for us to take the initiative with our faith in the marketplace. In these examples where it says salt and light, salt and light are both used in the context of taking the initiative because until salt and light is dispensed into a context outside of itself, it has no effect. Salt is of no value till it gets out of the container. A light is of no value until you take it into a room where there's darkness. Turning on a light where there's already light has hardly any effect in the room whatsoever. You must take the light and locate it in a place where there's darkness and turn it on. Putting a light bulb in a room is not enough. You've got to turn it on. You have to take the initiative. Darkness doesn't come to the light. Light has to go to the darkness. Salt is the same way. It's great that you have this magnificent salt shaker, but it does nothing staying in the container. Somebody has to take the initiative, pick it up, and apply it. That's critical. So what you read here is salt must leave its concentrated form and be dispensed in a measured fashion. We're going to discuss that here in a little bit more. In the same way, light must be activated in a measured fashion and then placed in the appropriate context. Somebody has to take the initiative. That just doesn't happen. So the first thing we have to know is this. My faith requires my effort, my forethought, my application. It requires my mouth, my talent, my, my schedule. It requires my abilities. I have to have skin in this game. That's just not going to happen all mysteriously by itself. So number one is I got to look at life from a different perspective. It's not, this stuff doesn't happen by happenstance. It happens to me by understanding that I am expected to take my faith to the marketplace. Now I know what some of you are going to say, so what does that look like? I'm glad you asked that question. What does it look like? So let's go to number two, read it out loud. God calls for us to be appropriate and adaptive with our faith in the marketplace. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So the context of salt in this particular day when Jesus was using it as an illustration had a variety of applications. Number one, it had value. Many of the soldiers would get paid in salt. Salt was, a, was a, another type of currency in their particular day. It had high value. So they could pay people with salt. So it had value. So let me just say this. We add value where we go. We create positive uh, action in the free marketplace where there is none. There may not have been a business, but now there is a business because you started a business. There may have been unemployment, but because of you, that you grew your business and now there are people being employed. You bring value. People's lives are better because you showed up to do your work and to do your job or start your business or grow your business. If you haven't discovered by now, God doesn't want you to grow your work and grow your business just to make you rich. Because if you do well enough, you have to hire people 
And it gives people who are underemployed or underpaid an opportunity to do better in life, which, by the way, changes their life and changes their family. Do you know why you want to knock it out of the ballpark? Because you are somebody else's miracle if you grow it. It's not always about you. It's not always about you getting the raise. It's about doing something. You bring value. There are people who will do better in life because you did better in life. There's also the fact that salt uh, had a dietary application. I don't think I need to unpack this too far. Everybody understands the necessity of a balanced diet with salt having it. It's needed for our body to function. Can I tell you, the free enterprise system at its base requires Christian values honesty, integrity, because we know of people who don't abide by the rules in the free marketplace and they commit criminal acts and they have to be caught and judged. Why? Because if there's enough criminality that goes along, it will destroy the free marketplace. You're needed to bring balance and order to the free marketplace. If people of integrity and honesty and character are not involved in the free marketplace, it could be catastrophe. So you bring good things to the community. You bring good outcomes, good initiatives. It also says salt was used as a preservative. It prevented certain foods from spoiling. So somewhat tied to the dietary is this. The salt prevented bad things from becoming the norm. It prevented the bad things from destroying things that had intended good. Listen, you are the preservative that prevents darkness from winning the day. This is easy for some of you because maybe you're in the security field or maybe you're in law enforcement or some of those, one of those elements, but you're in that arena. You do what you do so that the darkness doesn't win the day. You stop things from happening that don't make the headlines that nobody knew got stopped. But because of you, darkness was put in check and people like us were able to enjoy the day in the lights. And we have no idea what you stopped. Can I tell you as your pastor, kudos to you. You preserve a way of life, a way of living, so that it's not so that other people aren't the, are, suffer the, the consequences of other people's bad actions. And by the way, I'll say it the other way. Sometimes when darkness wins the day, thank God there are people who say that's not going to become the norm and we're going to deal with it. It's called a court. It's called justice. I thank God for a justice system that says, no, that's not going to be the norm. You're going to be tried. You'll be convicted if you're unguilty, and you will be sent. I thank God for that because it enables, listen, it preserves a culture. It preserves a society. So if you're in law enforcement or you even work in the court system, kudos to you. I hope you see the value of what you do and why you do what you do because it enables most of us not to have, hey, my, my son is a, uh, you know, this highway patrolman out in Missouri, and I've said this many times when he's told me, you know, he's had a, a situation where he's pulled somebody over driving 80 miles an hour on the wrong side of the interstate for 20 miles under the influence of alcohol, and they finally caught the guy, and nobody was hit. 
I said, there's a number of people who go home tonight not knowing what you just did. There are people whose family and their life would have been altered tonight. But they'll never know that. They just saw somebody, somebody they were trying to pull over something. They have no idea what you just stopped. We're, listen, we're preservatives of good. Amen? And then we're also this. It has a medicinal value. Sometimes salt was used as a medicinal to bring healing. Listen, God uses us in the marketplace to go to places where there is division, where there is strife, where there is tension. We don't add to that. We try to say, how do I help bring healing? How do I heal the divisiveness? How do I heal the, the, the division, the hurt, the hatred? The, how do I make this better? Because hate can't win the day. Revenge cannot win the day. How do I bring healing to my community? How do I bring healing into the context that's unfolding in my neighborhood or my town or my city? See, salt does all these things. Now, here's the thing. A different measurement of salt is needed for each application. You don't use a pound of salt for every one of them. You use an appropriate. In other words, if you were paying somebody, there might be more salt. But if you're using it for dietary, that's a different measurement. If you're using it as preservative, you would use it in another way, a different measurement. If it was used for healing, you would use another one. So we have to understand what's the measurement of salt that I need to bring to the context where I am functioning in life. It's not one size fits all. Because if you bring too much salt, they'll feel insulted. <laughs> if you bring too much salt, they'll even feel assaulted. <laughs> Folks, it's just coming right now. It's just... What's the measurement of salt for your context? Again, you see this with Jesus as he was, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't start every conversation with, you know, I'm the son of God, and if you don't accept me, you're going to hell. <laughs> he, didn't, he, didn't, he started off with, he had Nicodemus, and they got to talking about being born again. With Matthew, the tax collector, it was another, he with fishermen, it was another, he knew how to use an appropriate level of salt for the conversation. And that's all of us in this room. Some might be able to use more salt than others, but we have to learn discernment and application. Everybody say amen to that? Last one is this, read it out loud. God has called us to be visible in our marketplace impact. He uses then the analogy of a light. You are a light. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I'm going to tell you, there's some words that are used here that I need to unpack for you so that you can appreciate what's being said in this particular context. So... 
We're going to look at the first part of that. He used the word, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. It means kept secret. So here's the thing. Our faith is not a secret. I'm not to suppress my faith and, and hide it and see if somebody can discover it. But on the other side, I'm not out there and I'm not just shoving it in people's face. So in other words, I need to be comfortable that, I have a, that I'm a follower of Jesus and if it comes up, I'm comfortable with the conversation. I'm not here to ram it down anybody's throat. I'm not trying to make it, I'm not trying to force it on anybody. I'm just, this is who I am. Now, here's the other part. I sometimes find myself engaged with people who are in, from a different faith. And they'll say this to me. They'll go, oh, so you're one of those. And I go, okay, why don't you just want to make sure I understand what do you mean by one of those. I think I know, but, oh, you know, one of those Christians, you know, and you've got your way and all. I said, listen, let me just tell you as a pastor, this is where I come from. I believe in freedom of religion. I'm not here to force you to serve my God. My God doesn't even force you to serve him, okay? So I'm not going to force you to serve him. Now, you have a right to serve the God of your choice. Now, I'm telling you, I can tell you and articulate why I have settled that Jesus is my God and why I think he's the way, not just for me, but why he should be the way for others. But I don't think I ought to be forcing it down other people's throat because it says that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And it says, if you will open the door, he will come in. It does not say that Jesus is a door kicker. Does anybody have any doubts that Jesus could actually kick in the door and go in? Okay, and it just says that Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. And it says, if you'll open the door, he'll come in. Now, my God's a gentleman. He's not about forcing him on, he's not about forcing himself on you. So I want people, so, but I'm not gonna deny my following Jesus so that you feel comfortable. If it bothers you, I'm sorry. I don't mean for it to be offensive. I don't mean for it to bother you. But I'm not going to walk away from that. That's who I am. He's changed my life. It's my identity. It's what I believe. I've staked my eternity on it. Okay. Then you come to this. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. They may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. When I've referred to about being stellar in the workplace, some people will oftentimes say, I hear you, it's a good speech. Where do you get all that? Like, you know, where does this come from? Right here. So anytime you hear me talking about our workplace expression, this is where it comes from. The word good. It's unfortunate that's not the strongest way to translate that word. But in translation work, you have to work with the concept. And if you're trying to keep it down to a book so you can carry, you kind of got to watch how many words you use to describe something. But the word good here means excellent, surpassing, noble, praiseworthy, commendable. That word good, for us as Americans, we hear that means adequate. That's not what that word means. It means surpassing. It means that you do something that the other person says, that is so good what you did, that's commendable. They say that's excellent. You, that's noble. You, went, you went above and beyond. And the next question that often comes is, why did you do that? So what he's telling us is this. We're to be knocking it out of the ballpark so people ask, why are you doing it? 
And I will give you that answer. If you're new to the bridge, I want you to hear that. Because work is worship. Some of you went, huh? Work is worship. Before, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, there was no sanctuary. Music had not even been invented. And it says when they worked the garden, at the end of the day, in the cool of the day, God would come and talk with them. So they worked and God showed up. Okay? This leads to later what David said, that God inhabits the praises of his people. When we praise him, and see, we often just take that into the musical realm. No, it's beyond that. When what I do praises him, he shows up. So Adam and Eve worked the garden, and then God showed up. Now, sin made that all the more difficult for to experience. It says, now we do it by the sweat of our brow. But it never said that God would stop showing up. Oh, see how we run with presumptions? We figure since we have to do it by the sweat of our brow, then he's not showing. No, no, God says it's hard, but I'll show up. The way we make an impact in the marketplace is using the gifts, talents, and resources and the positions that he's given us. And we knock it out. You are, listen, we knock it out of the ballpark. You're not going to work tomorrow. You're going to worship tomorrow. You'll see people different. You'll talk with them different. You'll interact with people different when you start to recognize that. Then he says... When you do such stellar things, it'll glorify your Father in heaven. That word glorify means to cause the dignity and worth of someone. When I do really well, it brings, it makes God famous. Because people will ask, listen, as a pastor, Just like you, we have to guard against being adequate. Adequate pastoring does not make impact. Are you shocked that I confess that? Being adequate doesn't work anymore. You go, God, what does it take? What does it take to be excellent so that it has impact? And so that when people say, why, where, how did you come to do that? Because I want you to know what he did in my life and he can do it in your life. That's why I do it. I'm not pastoring as a job. I'm pastoring as my worship to God. You bring a whole different kind of hustle to the game when you get that in your head. The last thing is this, we've been praying. We're about two thirds of the way through our three week of fasting and we handed out Isaiah 58 as a model to pray. And in these verses are these. And, G, and, and, the, and God was saying, this is the kind of fasting that I want to have this kind of impact. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fall, fail. Man, I tell you what, I read that and I get excited like, hey, I'm all for being a well-watered garden. Bless me, bless me, bless me. Got it? How many are with that? 
You got to finish reading the verse. Why will God give you more resource than you need? Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. God says, I'm going to give you enough, not because you need another car. I'm going to give you enough so that you can get someone a car who doesn't have one. I'm going to bless you, not because you need a bigger house. I have someone who has no house. You saw it in the missions video, and it was a real quick byline. And we said in our missions about responding very quickly to some opportunities that come our direction. Many of you know the hurricane that hit Florida, and we helped do some relief, but you know, it also hit Cuba. There is significant revival in the churches in Cuba. You live under that oppressive government, you're going to want God. And a number, listen, and we have a sister fellowship that we work with that are a part of our fellowship on that island, and a number of their churches got destroyed in Cuba. And they said that they were allowed, it's kind of a catch-22. We'll let you rebuild your churches, but we're not going to let you have access to some stuff. How are you supposed to rebuild something if you, you know? Long story short, we were given an avenue to rebuild at least one church, and it was only going to cost $7,500 to get it rebuilt. And literally within just a few days, because of your faithfulness, we didn't have time to present it. It was like it needs to go out now. They have given the clearance. We can get it done and we can do it now. And so we did. Why does God bless the bridge? You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Not all the resource that God gives to us is designed for us. Sometimes he says, why don't you go help somebody who used to be in your spot? We were a church plant one day. God uses you to fix problems in the community. I'll leave this guy's name out, but I do have his permission to tell you the story. He lives in a subdivision, and the subdivision got into some chaos because of the HOA situation. And he came and he spoke to me about it, about how, what was the right way to handle the mess and clean some things up because there were some concerns about resource allocations and such, and it could involve some legalities. And he said, I just don't know what I should do and how I should do it and who I should contact. And I said, what do you mean contact? It sounds like God has already identified the problem and showed you what the solution is. It sounds like he wants you to step up and get on the HOA and solve some problems for your neighbors. I said, how many of your houses in your subdivision? He said, a couple hundred. I said, sounds like a ministry to me. I track him on Facebook. And I've watched as he's posted things over the year and a half that he's been doing this, getting things right, setting things in order. Yesterday, some waters, some of our storms had wiped out some of the footbridges in his subdivision, and he and some guys just went down to those areas and they repaired all the footbridges so that people in their subdivision could access all the resources available. And I've watched slowly as he's made incremental pro process and people in that subdivision are thanking him for stepping up, for solving problems and making the neighborhood better again and fixing things that have been long time neglected. Listen, he's did, he did exactly what this says. I'm going to wrap this up, but man, I hope you hear the voice of the Lord in this. 
You are called and gifted to solve community problems. Get out there and be somebody's miracle. They're waiting on you. They don't know your name and you don't know theirs. But when you show up, they'll know it. And you'll hear it. And you'll solve it with God's help. And that's, listen to me, that's how we make a difference in the marketplace. And people will ask you, why did you stick your neck out? And that's where your witness comes in. If you don't know where to take it from there, come see me, I'll write you a script. <laughs> why did I stick my neck out? Because God put in my heart, it matters to me what happens to you. That's why. Just as it mattered to him what happened to me. And everybody said amen. Come on, let's stand and wrap up the service. Come on, stand to your feet. I want you to praise him that he's got an expression for you. I want you to praise him that he wants to be, use you as somebody's miracle. Come on, all over. Let's lift our hands. Let's thank him for that calling he has on us.